the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. It's Rob Black and your money. I'm the great one today. hi Johnny Carson, not a very nice man. But that's okay. So, everyone wants free advice, which I think you're hurting yourself on. I can't tell you how many people I see try to do it themselves, and then they mess up. And they'll even go to a seminar and take pictures of the slides and think, I can do this. But in the end, they can't do it. Otherwise, they would have done it. And when they try to replicate it, it gets kind of like a little bit confusing because things change. Environments are different. 2000 ushered in a millennial change, right? And uh, the way we do business kind of started getting faster and cheaper and roadblocks came down. And if you wanted to start your own business, I saw Amazon has a thing now where if you want to start a delivery business, they will help you and they will help you buy a car or a van. They will help you buy a fleet of cars or vans. They will put their logo on it and they will help you hire people. So if you want to start a bit like, wait, wait, don't you have to go to college to start a business or don't you have to have a great idea? No, Amazon saying we need little birds to go to do our delivery work. Right? So things change. Probably the number one thing that I see people do is just try to cheat and say, what, give me advice for free. And the best thing I could say on advice is look for trends. So let's bring in Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. Good morning. As the baby boomers get older, they take more drugs. And when you hear stories of, like, Viagra selling out, you know, just dominant because they're taking more. Baby boomers get older. They go to the doctor. They say, hey, I saw a commercial. Hey, can I get that? So the trend of the aging of the boomer was a big one for investing. Now let's talk some trends on real estate. Supply and demand. We've been in a trend where there's been not enough supply, too much demand, and what happened in those you know, 8, 9, 10 years? It was a trend. It was 8, 9, 10 years of low supply and high demand, and it's not a surprise of what happened. Yeah, and we're in a trend right now that's um, it's hard to get away from, um, and it's lasted a long time, and we have short memories in real estate. And I'm not saying that not a lot of there's still people out there that remember our last crisis or recession, the Great Recession, whatever you want to call it. But it it's it's interesting to see that some people are still making the same mistakes that they made last time. Yeah, or at least thinking that way, the speculators. So it, it we did usher in a very interesting age. Uh, baby boomers are, uh, and I, I'm glad you brought up that point. We, what are we going to do with the baby boomers? And I I think the baby boomers are one of the I don't want to say problems, but they could be the cure to the real estate uh, um, crisis that we're in now. And we are in a crisis of short inventory. We're just not seeing enough buildings. So it always comes down to the whole question is where people are going to move. Um, Because all we're seeing right now are apartment buildings. Yeah. 
I'm not sure if that answers your question. Close enough. But I think the trend on inventory, and this is a big statistic in, in real estate when you see new homes and existing homes, of how many days of inventory there are. At about three months, it's considered a... Three, three to six months, it could be considered normal. Healthy. Healthy. Nine, and it's suddenly a buyer's market because that seller's been put that house on the market for nine months. And that's like a long... That's how long it takes to make a baby, right? Yeah. It's long... It, uh, we're talking, I think, right now, 50 days, I think, nationally. Yeah, it depends on... Yeah, locally, it's yeah. going to be different. Locally, like, it's yeah, different, yeah. Locally, in some cities, it's like three days on the market. Uh, sale pending, almost as soon as for sale sign goes up. Or, you know, showing this Sunday, Monday morning, sale pending. Uh, but I think that's a trend, and I think you're going to see into the end of the year... With the higher interest rates, with the higher mortgage rates, albeit they do fluctuate, we should see a building of inventory this fall. We're getting out of the spring season. We're moving into the summer season. Foot traffic's a little bit lower. We should see some, some building off incredibly low levels of inventory in markets like Boston, Detroit, Nashville. Um, I don't want to say realtors are unreliable when it comes to the information because they. it seems like they're always saying, oh, yeah, more inventory is coming on the market. And, and we've kind of hear that every spring and every fall, the two big buying seasons and selling seasons of the year. And we're hearing the same thing about this fall. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a reason why this is the, you know, this fall is going to be a big season because everybody's going to go back to school. They want to get their house sold and they want to move before everything, you know, they have to put their kids back through, but uh, we still see that they're shrinking inventory and there's nothing we can do about it right now. In fact, Robert Schiller, he came out and said that that's the one main driving force behind increasing home prices because of our inventory issue. But where we should see inventory build is on the high end and on the mid. It's the low and mid homes around 350,000. They're going to sell in a week. Yeah. Uh, They're going to sell almost immediately because they're easily financed and there's a lot of demand for them from trend number two in the near future. I predict. Millennials will start to come into their own. I know a couple of millennials that they had fun in their 20s and they, they got their job going and they got their, uh, uh, how shall we say, the raves out of the way. And now they're starting to get serious and make babies. And suddenly the millennials are starting to come in their own with jobs and starting to come in their own with wanting to own a home. So millennials should be a bigger part of the buyers in the next three to five years. That's a trend. Where, where do millennials want to live right now? Where can they afford to buy? That's where your investment ideas can start coming together and go, aha, I get it. Low inventory. I get it. Um, high demand. I get it. You know, $350,000 home is what I should be looking at because that's where I might be able to get in. Because it's whatever perspective you're, you're at. If you're a builder, you're an investor and you want to make money, you have a lot of money to spend, you're going to probably build apartments right now. And that's the unfortunate part about the whole formula here. We have a massive buying pool. The millennials supposedly represent the largest buying pool we've ever seen in history, baby boomers, generation X and so on. And yet there's no affordable housing out there for them. And they're meanwhile, rents are high and it's draining their ability to save uh, down payment. They've, they're, they're carrying the largest amount of student debt uh, in history and these are the people who are supposed to be buying houses. So where are they buying houses? That's a trend that we're, de- we're certainly following right now. Um, it's it's got to be tough out there as a millennial saying, I want to be close to the jobs, but I want to own a house. And you can't have both. 
Um, dual incomes are what we're seeing a lot of right now, Rob, right? Because that's really the only way that you can do the same kind of environment you see in renting, where you're seeing two or three people living in a one or two bedroom apartment. Same thing we're seeing in, in single families or townhouses or condos when it comes to millennials buying. Unless unless you're getting get, we're seeing a lot of gifts from parents too. So again, as someone who we get questioned all the time, we got questioned last night, like where should I buy a, a rental property? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, take a look at just go Google where are millennials moving. That's your idea. That's your answer. And it's like millennials are going like, I want to live in like Austin, right? like right? Good. Because in Austin, that's the place where that that Steve Austin six million dollar man was from, right? Really? Texas is don't mess with Texas. Don't man. mess with Texas, but a that, lot of that people lack are of income to tax. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so millennials where they're where they're showing their we want pretzel hamburger buns. Go where the pretzel hamburger buns are being made, so to speak, because uh, they are the they are the the forty three percent of all originations and mortgages this year will be tied towards millennials. I don't doubt it. So. Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com if you're a millennial, Jax, Boomer, Snot-Covered Senior, whatever. If you need a mortgage, he can help you. He doesn't classify. I do. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. I'm not always going to get it right, but darn it if I'm not going to try to get it right on this show. Trying to get you to retirement. Um, any way I can. And there's lessons to be learned. You know, when you see oil pushing up to intra-year highs, it's going to be a problem down the road. Now, again, $60 we could deal with, $70 barrel we could deal with, but somewhere around 80 to 120, it really starts to slow economies. And we have a president who's having problems with North Korea. You have a president who's having problems with Iran. It creates political instability. And that can that unstableness or instable can create you know pushes of of grandeur on oil prices, which could create inflation for you and me and the world. General Electric has lost half its value. Now, General Electric, I once nicknamed the General. I know you're saying that's cute. They had so many businesses, from turbines to television. All across the United States, light bulbs, you could kind of count on them to like reflect our economy. And, you know, in radio, you come up with dumb phrases. As our economy goes, so goes the stock market. And one stock that was the economy was GE. And yet they've fallen apart. You know how? Too much debt. Leverage balance sheet. Too much debt, leverage balance sheet. Same thing, right? Now, GE once was the economy, right? Are you still with me? You're tracking? What happened? Too much debt. Leverage balance sheet. Now, I look at companies as human beings because the IRS looks at companies as human beings. They're taxed like a human being. Now, for me, I look at GE and I go, wow, what happened? Too much debt. Leverage balance sheet. 
but it's a company. But does that not teach me what can go wrong with me? I'll give you the extreme example, but I can also give you me. I just bought a second home, right? A getaway, uh, somewhere for some downtime. Um, years and years of saving, years and years of being thrifty, years and years of investing. So that extra home puts in an extra payment, which puts in extra utility cost, extra everything. You know, am I going to cut cable at one place? I'm going to share cable. I don't know. I don't really have an answer for that. I've, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm working through it. But I have a friend who uh, had the unfortunate situation of having a sister who's disabled, but her handicap is typically probably perception-wise more laziness and socially just unacceptable. Like, she's very, very, very goth. And try to think that you're going to get into uh, be a receptionist at a dental office, you're probably going to run into... You know, some some people judging you by your the clothes you wear and such. So she's got a sister who's a little bit she she's on permanent disability and she's done that with you know a lot of social awkwardness, but also um, uh, some disability in there. So she's super successful. Her sister not. Her mom, big woman. Her dad, mechanic at United. So for years and years and years and years, he's a mechanic at United, and he owns a home in Fremont. And finally, he goes, you know what? I this has done great. I've been a mechanic for twenty plus years, and you know, I, my home has gone from two hundred thousand up to eight hundred thousand. I'm going to take some money out and buy another home. So he does that, puts a renter in. Awesome, right? Someone's paying the mortgage. Does it again? But this time, the terms aren't quite as well. And the person he puts in, it's not quite covering the mortgage. But if the house goes up in appreciation, he'll be fine. Does it again? And then the economy turns south in 2006. The real estate market just gets just devastated. And the economy gets devastated. 10% unemployment. Renters were losing their jobs. So he lost one home, two homes, three homes, all four homes, including his original home. Why? Because he had too much debt, too much leverage. Leverage balance sheet, right? So at one point in time, he was fine with his job and his house, and he did well. He, he took money out once, and he did well. He could have left it there, but he continued to push it. And what was his downfall? Much like General Electric, the general who was the economy, too much debt, too much leverage balance sheet. When times are good, they're very, very good. When times are bad, they're very, very, very bad. And the leverage will wipe you out. Whereas it'll make you rich on the upside, but it's only rich until you pay taxes. And then what do you have left over? And what do you do? A friend of mine, uh, he's going through a pretty ugly divorce right now. And he's like, hey, can you watch my kids? I think he wants to get some sexy time. I think his ex-wife wants to get some sexy time. So it's like, have someone else watch your kids. So, you know, crazy, right? But he was talking about the divorce and how expensive it is. And the reality is he's kind of stuck right now in life because he loves the Bay Area. But once you leave the Bay Area, you probably don't get back in the Bay Area. It's the first rule of Fight Club. So GE had a lot of debt. Remember, we talked about too much debt, too much balance, a leverage balance sheet. But they also had great cash flow. So the cash flow was able to service their debt. And when the cash flow started to dry up, that's when their debt became a problem. Now, cash flow with a renter 
is he pays your rent, he pays his rent to you, and you pay your his cash to the bank for the mortgage. So what started going bad with GE? Their cash flow started to dry, to dry up. Also, their culture started to change. Remember the culture of the mechanic at United? Oh, and by the way, after he lost all four houses, he also, his wife had a stroke, and then he, he got into a carpet company because he was trying to make up extra money, and he died. So his, he's left his family with nothing but a wife who's had two big strokes and is immobile. One daughter who can't work, and another daughter who's successful and now feels the pressure of taking care of those two people while she's trying to have a family of her own. So anyway, the culture changed in his life. He went from being a mechanic with a house and a family to being a real estate developer, a real estate investor. And he didn't see it coming. And he had, like GE, he had a weak board of directors. GE's board, they could have like seen some of these problems and said, let's fix them. Let's jettison this business. Let's get out of this business. Let's, let's raise cash for this. Let's sell this one. While times were healthy, the board failed. But also in the, the mechanics situation, his friends and family failed. The, his board of directors, people who know him should have said, you know what? You've done pretty good with one. Maybe give it some time. Pay down some debt. Make sure you're in the clear in a worst case scenario. And it got really complex at GE. They weren't able to spread their risk effectively. And sometimes you too and me, and we all can't spread our risk. So we keep doing the same thing tech stocks or real estate or, you know, 8% oil wells. No diversification and you go down. At some point in time, you don't get back up. I'm Rob Black. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Life's a little bit complicated at times. Kids can be costly. And I know there's something biological clock and environmental getting older that you do have kids, right? And then you kind of want to pass on things like it, it made sense for Disney to buy the Star Wars franchise when they did. Because the kids who loved Star Wars were, were starting to peak at their, that age now where they, they've had kids and they want to share that with their kids. The laser sword. I'm no longer going to call it a lightsaber. I'm going to call it a laser sword. So now that it's, um, you kind of learn that kids are expensive, right? You start learning ways to save money. Like you kind of go through that experimental phase of cutting your own hair and you go, no, maybe I should not save that much money. But MoviePass is out there. You know, MoviePass, right? It's something we've been talking about for about a year now, nine bucks a month. And you can go to unlimited movies. They give you a little credit card. And you walk up to the theater and you say, here you go. And they, they somehow punch in your credit card or something like that. And you punch in your debit thing. Magically, you get in the movie for free or nine bucks a month. So they've, done, they've done some tinkering with it. At one point in time, they panicked and said you could only use it four times a month. And at one point in time, they said you can't go to see the same movie more than once. So they've, they've tinkered with it. Now they're getting to, ready to tinker with it yet again. They're burning so much cash that what are they going to do? They're going to make the deal even better. Oh, God. It's the old burn, throw cash into um, a barrel and watch it burn game, right? MoviePass has said that they're looking to launch a family plan. 
company currently offers $9.95 a month subscription that allows individual users to see one movie per day in theaters each month. And it's bringing a ton of cash. So now they they, they said, we're, we're going to get profitable because the numbers are starting to get bigger. They've reached 2 million paying subscribers. Um, so they've now gone from 2 million to pretty quickly 3 million. So you could start seeing like $10 a month at 1 million, $10 a month at 2 million people, $10 a month at 3 million people. You could kind of start seeing a business plan. And that's the whole business plan that AOL had. They had that subscriber thing. And Wall Street loves subscriptions. Do you know why? Because sometimes it, it kind of suckers you into purchasing a little bit more. And it's pretty consistent seeing that cash flow come in. So right now, if, if I were to go to... Uh, I could even give you a really good, good life example uh, on borrowing money. So a company like a Disney has a tougher time borrowing money than a company like... Um, Good God, now I'm dropping it. (laughs) Comcast. So Comcast has got all the cable people who pay every month, and cash flow comes in, cash flow comes in, cash flow comes in. So a bank's going to say, we will gladly lend you money at a a lower rate. Then a company doesn't have that cash flow coming in. Even though Disney is as great as it is, you know, you got to imagine that they could just raise rates on, you know, their, their, either their, their, their parks, right? They could say, let's raise it in the United States, or let's raise it in our Chinese parks, or let's raise it in our European parks. They, they got it. They got something. But yeah, so MoviePass is coming up with a family plan, because now they've hit 3 million people. They would like to hit 4 million people, and then probably at some point in time, ask for more money. Um, but again, it, it's a pretty interesting thing. Rapid growth is is stunning to watch from a distance. Rapid growth is something that fascinates investors. You know, if you take a look at the top 10 companies today, and you know the list, it starts with Apple, it goes to Amazon, right? Google's in there, Microsoft's in there. If you take a look at 10 years ago, what were the top 10 companies? None of those companies, none of them. Microsoft is the only one that's been top 10 largest for 10 years in a row. All the other ones, the oil companies kind of faded down. And I kind of bring this up because it goes back to that whole baseball thing and, and having kids, right? We'll get there in just a second. But we're fascinated with growth. Baseball's not growing. Baseball's dying on so many levels, and professional sports are dying. So, sexy movie pass, where people feel like, I'm getting a bargain in life. I'm going to be able to see $270, $400 of movies for 10 bucks a month. People like that. That's sexy. Now, when you start talking about baseball, great Google and Moogla. You could drop $400 easy going to a baseball game. 40 bucks for tickets or 60 bucks for tickets for a family of four. That comes to 240. You get some transportation thrown in there. You get parking. Oh, don't park. Parking is now prohibitive. It's prohibitive. It's expensive. And then, oh, you wait for 40 minutes to park and then they get up to the front and they say cash only. And you're like, cash only? I don't live in a cash only world. Can I Venmo you? And they're like, no. Can I Zell it? So Zell, do you know who Zell is? Z E L L E. They're a consortium of um, seven banks that got together five, seven years ago and said, I'm kind of worried about this electronic cash transfer thing. So Zelle is bigger at this point in time than Venmo. No one knows that. But the banks got together and said, we're not going to let these little tech punks from San Francisco who ride their their scooters uh, steal our old, old, old school business. And even though it's happening on some levels, right? 
But league-wide attendance in baseball, I, sometimes I, I get suckered in. You know, at 4 o'clock today, I'm going to be a little tired. Probably going to open up an IPA. Sit down on the couch, have some corn chips. And yeah, I'm going to go around the league, maybe. I'm going to go, when I go around the league, that's like watching cable television. I, I know you're saying you still have cable. Yes, I still have cable, but I've cut one cable. I'm down to one cable box instead of two cable boxes. I do have some internet streaming TV. I got Netflix. I'm not going to say that. I got Netflix. You know what I'm saying? So that's a pretty good thing. Um, I got that uh, YouTube TV. That's awesome. I think that's incredibly functional. That's all I need. But so uh, let's say I'm going to watch a couple baseball games. And, and oh, I hate it. Do you do you ever watch like a Yankees game? And a couple of years ago, they changed stadiums, and you're like, you used to love Yankee Stadium because there were animals. There were animals that would go to the games. The, the, the New Yorkers that would go, they they were ravaged animals. So they would take a ball, like, oh, you don't even want to know. Animals. And now they've set it up kind of like culture. Corporate culture, just it's a little too couchy and it's empty. Okay, so what I'm getting at, long story short, baseball is dying because it's boring. Movie passes is moving up because it's sexy. Netflix has been moving up for quite a while. And then they kind of stopped. And then they said, oh, you know what? We're going to open up to international markets so we can keep you know selling the, the line of we're adding millions and millions and millions of people. Baseball, the average attendance is 27,328. I feel bad. I saw that Kevin Durant got crap the other day for winning a title. And everyone's like, yeah, you shouldn't ride the coattails and, and go from a loser organization to a winning organization. You should create a winning organization from a losing organization. I say, I say no to that. Life is too short. Get as many rings and titles as you can because that's all people are going to remember in the long run. They're not going to remember the stories of the trials and the tribulations. And then you like you look at some of these baseball game teams. Do you think it's fun playing in Tampa Bay? A team that doesn't have owners or Miami that doesn't have owners that care enough. Like they don't have the ego to win. They just have the ego of I'm going to date a woman who's 40 years younger than me. And she's eventually going to divorce me and take this baseball team from me. But while I'm at it, I'm going to make as much money as I can. And I'm going to have boats and yeah, right. That's what I, that's what I feel like the owners of Miami and Tampa and Cleveland, they, they just don't seem like they're committed to winning. So if I were a ball player, I'd certainly jump to a winning team. But I'm not a ball player. But if I were a ball player, I'd jump to any team if they'd have me. So, because who wants to play in front of 27,000 people when you can play in front of 50,000 people? But anyway, baseball attendance down 6.6% year over year. That's that's alarming. Because you're talking about Gian, Giancarlo Stanton making $250 million contract. Like, some of these ball players are getting 15 to $25 million a year. And where's that coming from? Attendance somewhat? Nah. It's not as important as you think. It's the TV rates. But if people aren't watching it on TV either, or if people are t- on TV watching and going, wow, there's no one there. Instead of paying premium pricing for tickets, I can now go get discount tickets. So like when, I, when the giant schedule comes out, I always look for the Virgin America Day. And I always look, for, why, you say? Or the Air Alaska Day now. Because if you get a ticket, if you get in the ballpark, you get a, a buy one, get one free on, on flights for the next like six months after that. So I always go, and they, 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 I try to get four tickets, and I give them to friends, and then we sit in the uh, bleachers, the cheap seats, get $10 seats, right? Day of the game kind of thing. Get get, uh, And then I take the vouchers, and I put them on eBay, and I sell them for a premium. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Rob Black and your money. You're not supposed to sell it. You're not supposed to resell the vouchers. It's against the rules. You know. You will respect my authority. 
My brother David taught me a great lesson when I was 12 and learning how to drive. I know you're saying, you're 12 and you're learning how to drive? I was six when I was learning how to drive. My family, uh, my family had some roots in Mobile, Alabama, and the kids drive daddy home when he's drunk. <laughs> so anyway, he said, Rob, lines on the road, lines are meant to be crossed. I'm like, wow. Say what? It's a good business lesson. So anyway, uh, Blue Jay attendance down 29% in Toronto. That's crazy. Oakland down 10.9%. Oakland's already been eliminated from the playoffs next year. Not even this year, but next year. What an embarrassment. San Francisco attendance down 6.7%. I remember when people would like wrestle for those tickets. So we could dress up as panda bears and giraffes and stupid things. I do love San Francisco crowds. But I, I, I like Movie Pass more because it's sexy and a bargain. Baseball game's not so much of a bargain. How much is a beer? $12? Kind of makes you want like, to get trashed in the parking lot and start fights with fans before you go into the game, right? Oh, and that's why attendance is down in, in person. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Stocks to hold forever. Do you believe in that statement? <laughs> I, I think it's a silly statement, but it's also a great idea. Google is one of those stocks I think you can hold for a long time. They got Chrome, they got Gmail, they got Google Maps, they got YouTube. They got a billion active users per month each. That's a lot. Do I honestly think you can hold it forever? I don't know. Ad sales up 23% year over year make up such a large part of the company's sales. Amazon, do I think you can own it forever? I'm in the camp that's going to lean yes, but can something change in the years to come? For sure. Can it massively underperform while still as a stock, while still operating well as a company? Probably. Keep in mind, we're a fickle country, though. We do turn on trends and fads pretty fast. But Amazon's using their shares to get into new industries, and it's pretty interesting to watch. So Whole Foods, um, a lot of people didn't see that one coming. So it goes back to what's in your wallet on a monthly basis. Uh, You don't look at Amazon Prime as a monthly basis because you typically pay for it a full year in advance, right? So you're probably looking at it as, well, already paid. It's $200 or $115 or $120. And it's $12 a month, blah, 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 $10 a month, nah, $120 a year, blah, blah, blah. So because you one-time chunk it, you don't see it as a, a regular cost, even though it is. But I do like Amazon as a long-term patient investor idea that you can hold for a long time. There's a company called Ecolab. And what they do is they clean things up. I was shocked when I moved to California, the Bay Area, um, I guess 20 years ago, roughly, right? I was shocked that how many people basically hire other people to do their chores. I grew up in a world where you cleaned the kitchen <laughs> on a pretty regular basis, where you cleaned the bathrooms on a pretty regular basis. Maybe not every week, maybe before a date comes over, something like that, Right. Here, everyone outsources that. Someone else mows your yard. Someone else cleans your kitchen. So cleaning up is going to be in business for a long time, right? Now, in this case of Ecolab, 
They don't have products that are made for home use. Hospitals, hotels, restaurants, schools, retailers use their cleaning fluids, their equipment and services to do laundry, wash dishes, mop floors. It's the biggest player in commercial cleaning. So they're the Google of commercial cleaning. They are the Amazon of the sanitation industry. Now, economic expansion. People are like, let's clean things. Economic slowdown. People are like, we don't need to clean it as often. So there is some exposure to the economy, for sure. But Ecolab looks pretty interesting as a long-term play. If you're trying to accumulate companies that you are proud to own, if you're trying to get bang for your buck and hit home runs, maybe it's it's more of a guy like a Paul Molitor type guy who gets a lot of singles, but I don't even know if that's true or false. But I'm just trying to talk baseball, acting all manly, you know. United Health Group. It's the biggest health insurer in the country with some 15 million people on its rolls. Um, and again, every month you pay your health insurance or you don't get it. They've got prescription drug services. They've got dental and vision care. They've got, you know, over the long term, if you believe that insurance companies, I'm not going to say are evil, but if you've seen a Julia Roberts movie or some sort of movie where the insurance company knew about it, they covered it up so they didn't have to pay massive claims. I kind of am one of those people that think insurance companies are going to make money in good economies and bad economies. So there's just so much money in the healthcare industry, and politicians haven't figured out how to dismantle it um, without losing votes and without losing, you know, contributions. But it's a flawed system. So I, I do look forward to seeing companies like Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway move more into healthcare services because capitalism can create some efficiencies, and if we create some efficiencies, we save some money, big money. It's like the the dumb statistic on cars if we had self-driving cars we'd save tons of money on fuel because a car knows how to accelerate and decelerate better than you do or a computer one of my favorite stocks for the long term is visa the king of plastic i could be talked in mastercard i could be talked into you know diversifying even further in the credit space in fintech and going after a paypal or something along those lines so Visa, good long-term company, great employees, great um, CEO. Um, volume in overseas developed in emerging regions climbed seven to eight percent year over year. This is this is a company that's been around a long time. And you know, will the rise of Apple Pay or Venmo and others hurt them? So far, they've been working together. So I like Visa on dips. Some people like. Fish and dip. Some people like chips and dip. Some people like Tostitos and dip. Me? I like stock dips. So, um, so anyway, that's Visa. There you go. Stocks that you could possibly own for the long term. I'm not sure if you believe that, but it's a good place to start, right? Millennials are making one big key mistake. They tend to save in cash-like vehicles. One in three millennials say they prefer cash insurance for long-term investments. But you're not going to get a good return on that, and you're going to wish that you were in the stock market the S&P 500 later. But that's okay. I, I think if you're a millennial, you're technically in your 20s-ish. And it's okay to 
see that you made some mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to study the stock market and real estate and gold and bonds and Bitcoin and cash. Uh, and you'll learn how it plays out for you. I'm Rob Black, talking about things financial, money, investing more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.